Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today we're joined by one of the sisterhood that is women for independence. They're the destiny's child of Scottish politics. Better say her name, say her name before she starts singing at me, accusing me of acting shady or asking why there's a sudden change. But anyway, <laughs> without further ado, Fatima Georgie today. Ladies and gents, how are you doing today, Fatima? You all right? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very... Why don't you tell us your story, Fatima? Um, so I'm in politics. Uh, <laughs> let's start there. And it wasn't really a, a, a it wasn't it wasn't a linear trajectory into politics. To be honest, it wasn't really where I was heading, where I wanted to head. Um, I initially set out to be a journalist because I was interested in reporting on news stories, just trying to get the message out there, make sure people are engaged and informed. And it's just during the course of my work, I just started leaning to more leaning more towards what politicians were doing and the impact it was having and the political reporting through that. And from there, I just did a master's in international development just to get more knowledge about global issues and politics. And from there, I just ended up finding my way here. And um, nice. that's a short version of a long journey. Short version, absolutely. And, and what sort of things did you do in your master's in international development? What, yeah, what sort of... so um, we'd had different pathways. So it was at the University of Birmingham and they offered like climate and sustainability, um, conflict and security, international political economy. So I was on a pathway that focused on poverty and inequality. And I would say, I would argue it was like the broad, like it was the most broad of the of all the pathways because poverty and inequality is mainstreamed into every politics and policy platforms. Um, so which I felt it really gave me a comprehensive overview of why it's important for us to consider poverty and inequality if we want to ensure that our policies when they're implemented are successful and leave no one behind. Nice. So, yeah. And were you from Scotland and then moved to Birmingham for uni or? Yeah, so I was born and raised in West, where I am now, <laughs> in West Hill. And uh, yeah, so I schooled in, in in Scotland, everything. And then I went off to Birmingham to do my um, postgraduate degree. I was there for two years and I worked for a humanitarian organisation while I was there. Oh, so wow. I had so much out in between. <laughs> yeah. Well, what 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 organization did you work for? Well, Islamic Relief, actually. Um, oh, nice, nice. So I joined them as a junior fundraiser and then I moved on to policy and research. And how much is humanitarianism uh, sort of ingrained in your in your view of, of politics and the way you see politics? A lot. But then also it depends maybe which party you're from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think all parties do humanitarian work very well. Yeah. Um, but no, I think at the heart of humanitarian relief and efforts is really the compassion, the commitment and willpower to help people. And that is a strong platform for what I feel is the Scottish National Party and which attracted me to SNP politics um, as opposed to some other party platforms. Um, yeah, let me not go too. So you deep. don't like the way, for example, Conservatives and Labour do humanitarianism? Is that is that your point? I don't. I mean, speaking if I speak to a Conservative politician, for example, they'll probably tell me that they think they're doing the right thing as well. They're probably like, yeah, I got into politics to help people, etc. I'm in this party because I believe it's helping people. But and that maybe just told me that the way people view compassion is subjective. But at the same time, I also feel that there is at least a base level. <laughs> Yeah. Like you at least cover. Do you think but, we need to be doing more with our foreign aid budget, for example? Or and do, do you think we conduct ourselves on the international stage? Uh, do you think we could conduct ourselves on the international stage better is what I meant to say there? Absolutely. And I think it's an absolute disgrace when the UK government decided to cut our foreign aid budget. Now it's 0.7%, which is hardly anything now. And 
I feel that it's not helping us commit to our international obligations. I mean, people will say, well, what's our business? Um, how, what sort like, why are we not helping people at home, et cetera, that sort of stuff. And I'm just like, the globe is interconnected. We're seeing climate change. We're seeing wars happening and it is affecting us here as well. I do feel that we have all of us, every country has an international obligation to support each other to some extent and where you have where you can deliver these resources to help empower other communities so that they can also empower others and then it has a beautiful knock-on and positive effect and I think a lot of people don't see that we should absolutely be doing more I feel under the current UK government um, and to be honest under successive UK governments to be honest Tory governments we have seen a consistent and persistent decline in our international obligations and something needs to be done about this failure to be honest yeah, you mentioned the cutting of the budget and we're actually spending a lot of that budget just on housing migrants and, and hotels down south and the, the inability to to sort this problem that we have um on the english channel but that's a, a whole other topic <laughs> all together uh, yeah <laughs> I, I noticed you but you you said a word there interconnected you know yeah. you're talking about global politics and you know obviously you remember the snp how how do you think that how do you think Scotland would be more interconnected by separating from our political union with uh, our neighbours on, on the island? I mean, you need to look at what we mean by separating from political union. We left a very large market. We left a very large union um, to be saddled with, to be stuck in a smaller one. So, I mean, <laughs> if anything, we've gone backwards for Scotland and rejoining the EU is actually going to move us forward. And then in terms of this whole independence referendum, some people might argue that, oh, you want to leave one union and join another, et cetera, or you want to sever ties. We're not looking for hard borders. We're not looking to just cut off trade or anything with England. The independence movement is just Scotland having its own powers, which makes absolute sense. Any country should be able to have full control over its own resources. What doesn't make sense is a country not having that control over the resources and um, is really the ball would really be to me in Westminster's court and in independent Scotland whether they want to decide yeah let's not bother trading because we are open we're opening our borders we're very open to that and we're going to be positive about trading with our closest neighbours it makes absolute sense yeah uh, yeah nice one and so so you're you're part of the women for independence is it a branch is it a, a subset of the oh, party no, it's is... a national campaign so I was on the exec and now I'm just an ordinary member Okay, cool. Um, so it is a national campaign. And the reason I joined Women for Independence was because I felt I campaign heavily on women's participation in politics. I do volunteer with a lot of organizations that focus on that. And what I saw with Women for Independence is that they were actually filling a gap where we see statistically that women are less likely to engage in politics, um, despite making, I think, lucent statistics showed us that 51% of the UK population is women. Yet we are the ones that are least represented at every level of public life. Yeah, I, th I think um, the Scottish right. Parliament's about a third, but and and, and that's actually better, <laughs> a, be a better. That's uh, improved. Yeah, that's still. the that's an improvement on Westminster. Yeah. yeah. So I think, and then we see as a result, and uh, the consequence of that is that women's issues are not, um, really amplified. They're sidelined. Um, they might be. Um, and they'll go unheard a lot of the time and you know when you don't see yourself when you don't hear your voice you sort of disengage in a way so and that doesn't really help 51% of the population because you're leaving 51% of the population behind so what Women for Independence were doing through engagement in women's issues 
which is everyone's issues, to be honest, it affects everyone. They have given women a voice to speak up on what they know about, what they feel and what changes need to happen. And I felt that was a really key campaign that had to stay. And I felt as a result, more women were engaging in the independence debates because they centered themselves in the independence rhetoric and how independence would make um, women's lives so much better. Well. Yeah, and what are what are what what do you think are women's issues? You you, you mentioned now that women's issues are underrepresented in in politics. What what do you think women's issues are in the modern day politics? And what are the struggles do you think of the, the modern day young women going wanting to go into politics? Why do you think they are disengaged? To be honest, I think so. The first part of your question: What are the women's issues? To be honest, I think anything and everything, everything affects us. But then there's some that disproportionately affect women. Um, we're looking at discussions around unpaid care work, for example, where women take on the brunt of um, childcare responsibilities. Um, we're looking at equal pay issues as well. Um, I mean, Birmingham City Council just recently, I know it's in England, but folded because they were settling an equal pay claim. Um, we're also looking at women's health as well. Um, so under-researched. Um, I mean, you've got massive campaigns. I know Hannah Burdell MP is heavily involved in the endometriosis that needs more awareness. So we're having women raising these issues, which is important to everyone, whether you have daughters, whether you have a wife, whether you have a sister. So that's really important. And I think your second part, you mentioned that women are leaving politics or disengaged from politics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing as well. Politics is not yet an environment. I feel that is welcoming to women. I we see it we see it every day I mean my Twitter mentions can be an absolute bin fire um my reasons for existing in politics can be consistently challenged um and it's always you see a lot of misinformation and misrepresentation about my um participation in politics that I feel I'm constantly having to fight every day now I just ignore it these days before I used to really challenge people and say look I'm here for the same reasons you are independence etc but these days I'm just like the thing with social media is that you, you, people do have an agenda when they come on it. And yeah, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, yeah. there's only so much. So you can't really reason. I think you just need to focus on the work that you want at hand. So I've taken that decision to just keep focusing on what is important and which is independence and so many issues that, in, that intersect with that because yeah. it's not independence for independence sake. Mm. People need to know why. We need independence. Oh, good for you. No, yeah. it's, it's 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 emotionally draining if you if you were to sort of address every single bit of criticism that was about you. It if is. You're yourself I mean, out there in politics, so I don't blame you for that at all. I know I've I've had to learn the hard way not to engage with people anymore, to be honest, because it does take a toll on you. Um, but when I say that, you have to learn the hard way. It does take a toll on you. But then I think what keeps you going is that you're also trying to keep women. You're trying to encourage more women into politics. This is so important. So I think that gives me a massive drive because we need to take everyone with us for a successful nation. Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. Um, I I, th I think there are certain challenges that women have that are, are unique to to women in politics. Kezia Dugdale used to talk about how when it was her, Nicola and, and Ruth uh, Davidson, how they used to wear really bright clothing or really high heels in order to stand out. They used to say certain things to make themselves stand out. They had sort of unique challenges, specifically with dealing with the media. Uh, yeah. Nicola Sturgeon, you know, I, I think she came under really intense scrutiny compared to her predecessor, Alex Salmon. And some people draw that comparison as a, a sort of evidence of misogyny in politics. Um, mm -hmm. I, I remember I was calling out the 
the blatantly racist portrayal of Hamza Youssef that the the BBC mm. had the other week. I think it, it was like noising up, and they had the caricatures of the different politicians, and the banter was just horrendous. But they chose a really a voice that just didn't sound like Hamza whatsoever, and it was just basically mocking based on his ethnic background. And I I called this out, and then someone on Twitter came back to me and was like, "Oh, is that like when?" you know, Nicola Sturgeon uh, gets criticised for the awful politician that she is. Like, is that just misogynist just because she's being criticised? I was like, well, hold on a second here. If you actually read what I'm doing, that's actually not at all um, what I'm saying. But... And, and oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that, but, but that struck me as interesting. Like, how, how much misogyny do you see, Fatima, in, in your experience in politics? And how much is it... How much is it subtle in the sense that it's maybe not directly... You know, it's maybe not like abruptly misogynist, but like the it's sort of the way they treat you, the attitude. Do you know what I mean? The, the sort of subtle attitudes that contribute to that kind of. Um, sorry, I'm can repeat myself now, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think um, I think the misogyny manifests itself in promoting double standards, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's how it presents itself. So a man and a woman can do the same thing, but for a woman, it's completely analysed in a different way. A man's assertive, a woman's aggressive, you know, that sort of rhetoric. I wish I remembered the whole quote because it was a very good quote, what a man would do and then how it will be interpreted for a woman doing the same I th thing. I thought you were being that Twitter person. I was like, Sorry. oh, no. It's <laughs> a, a horrendous quote. <laughs> oh, no, no. But no, it's, it's just, yeah, it was just a comparison. It's just like when a man's assertive, a woman is aggressive, like, yeah. but they're doing the same thing, but that's how it's interpreted. So I think that's how misogyny manifests itself in the, um, that, that's how it promotes, sorry, how the misogyny is promoted in this is that um, women are held to double standards, different standards, much higher standards, get away with less compared to their male counterparts. I think that's a common theme that we find. Mm. I, yeah. I, I spoke to Mary Black on the, on the podcast, I think it was back in january and she was talking about westminster being this sort of archaic sort of rich man's boys club do you know what i mean that's the way she just said it wasn't the, the exact words um mm -hmm. how how disheartening is that for you a, a young woman wanting to get into politics well you are in politics you know i mean want to enhance their career in politics how disheartening is that to hear that this is the sort of end goal establishment and it's actually quite it's not really suitable if you if you like it, it doesn't really fit the mold of you know, the, this boys club that it's, it's perceived to be. To be honest, I think what's, I think, to be honest, it would have put me off if I just joined politics and this is what I was told. But I think having that awareness that this is what you could come up against, I think sort of made you, I don't know. Almost, it's a bit of fire in the belly. Yeah, it's just, and it just almost made, like I, I went, I'm going in, I would go in aware. That's the thing. I'd be aware of what the environment is like. I think I'd rather know. And then you want to try and change it, knowing it. But when you go in not knowing this sort of environment, that's what puts you off. So when Mari said it, it wasn't a surprise to me, which is why it doesn't put me off. Mm. Um, and I think that's the thing there. And then you just try and find ways to try and uh, change it yourself. You know, it is exhausting. I don't think anyone's going to try and do, stay there for that long. Yeah. I mean, the, I guess the well, end goal of the SMP <laughs> yeah. is to... Yeah. is to make the place dormant and, and, oh, and, and, and irrelevant. Like, no. Yeah, so, uh, no, that's fair enough. What do you think about is about the independence movement that is such an attractive prospect for feminism specifically? It's the whole idea of empowerment. There's so much rhetoric of empowerment behind the independence movement about choice, about freedom. 
Um, and that's uh, that really captures to me the whole feminism movement as well. So I think you can draw massive parallels yeah. um, between the two. And it was really great when we we're able to center that in our independence arguments, especially in campaigns like Women for Independence. Like you're fighting for these things. Independence for Scotland is offering you these things as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really important um, thing to point out. And see, when you were sort of, I, I don't know how you came to, to choose the SNP, but let's say you, you had your all your manifestos out and you're reading them all like I'm sure you did. <laughs> and uh, and you sort of came to the conclusion, yeah, the SNP are for me. Like, how much how much was feminism in your mind when you made that decision? Um, so I don't think I understood the whole rhetoric of feminism. I just knew this is how I felt. Yeah. Uh, this is what I wanted to do. I didn't really know the name to it. And I've always been like that in primary school. When I went into um, academy, I, I I became head girl. It was just all this leadership, like women changing things, women right, leading. Okay. Well, so I, I just had that sort of concept perception. Um, I came across feminism, obviously, when I was in my teens, I think. That's when I started to understand what feminism was. And I was like, okay, so it has a name, basically. And um, so I think, what, sorry, what was the rest of your question? Uh, so, so I, I, I was asking how much was feminism in your mind when you had all the pamphlets from okay, all the yeah, yeah, no, so absolutely. And, and then if I think about how I described feminism earlier about empowerment, empowerment choices, yeah. freedom, yeah, um, basically giving people the opportunity to lead a life they have reason to value. And then you think about who is offering these policies, who is offering this politics, and also you, you need to think about okay, I have certain beliefs on certain issues, et cetera, which, con which um, party um, really resonates with me in that area. So I just went in knowing who I wouldn't want anything to do with. <laughs> I think that's how I started. <laughs> and, and which parties uh, were, were that out of interest? <laughs> take a guess. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was like, yeah, no. Um, so I started ruling out. But then, to be honest, um. I did know that I liked the SNP earlier on anyway. Um, and when I was old enough to vote, they have been the only party that I've ever voted for. Um, long before I became a member, um, I've been a supporter of the SNP. Um, I just couldn't join officially because of the work I was doing. In journalism, you can't you can't really be a member of a political party. Um, so I just knew where my views values the cause i liked as well and then i'm also ethnically nigerian so i grew up in a household that was very big on independence for our country as yeah. well because nigeria gained its independence in 1960 my dad was alive for that so this whole concept of independence um has always been something that i grew up with a country's independence it's a right yeah, so wow. and is he is he proud yeah. of you when he sees you sort of championing that line of thinking in scottish politics yeah, I don't think he's surprised, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, no, absolutely no, because politics is, has always been a massive um, topic of discussion in our household. Uh -huh. um, we do have, I think we started off all having different political leanings, to be honest, but now we've sure. also merged in, we have a mixture of SNP and Greens now. Right, okay. um, for example. Nice. Um, yeah, a question popped in my head, actually. Yeah. I, I, I thought back to when you mentioned that you were at Birmingham Uni. Yeah. How, um, how aware were politics students in Birmingham of what the SNP were about outside of independence? Like, how how clued up are they about Scottish politics and our sort of issues? 
Um, so I, I didn't really engage with politics students, but I think because like if I just think about international development, I do remember one discussion in my class. Um, I forgot which module it was, but when I spoke about uh, Scottish independence, the comment I got back was, uh, no, and I spoke about us being welcoming. And they were like, yeah, welcoming to anyone who's not from England, who's not from Wales. So I think the perception there is that this overly nationalist and nationalist um, perception of this SNP, which is wholly untrue, um, to be honest. Um, we promote a kind of civic nationalism. And I will not disagree that there is a minority that do engage in this form of unwelcome nationalism. Um, this whole blood and soil that I do not agree with at all. I do believe that uh, it should be inclusive, Scottish independence. And we are inclusive of anyone who wants to come into Scotland and chooses to make Scotland their own. It's not about nationalities. It's about just being able to make decisions with our own resources by the people of Scotland and many diverse people make up Scotland. So, And uh, I mean, what, what percentage of the 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 SNP population do you think is that blood and soil nationalist because obviously a big part of Scotland's history is you know a standing up to England you know they, they, these are the kind of things that you learn about in school William Wallace Robert the Bruce all the the battles that you've seen in Scotland these are the kind of things that you grow up and you learn about in history and obviously the patriotic bunch will have developed into you know people in politics that want to see Scotland be an independent country and um, how 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 big a portion of the SNP support do you think that is? It's actually not the SNP support so it's actually the independence and the I am not going to name the party <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I think just take a wild guess I, don't, I haven't met SNP supporters like that I think the problem is in the wider independence movement mm -hmm. and I've seen it from outside of the SNP but within the independence movement and it's a minority Sure. so it's not the SNP for the record <laughs> and and <laughs> just putting that in there, just, yeah. just in case. Um, back to sort of feminism. You know, what yeah. do, in what sort of societal context do you think male supremacy still exists the most? You know, is 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 it like in working environments? You know, you have, you have these examples of like psychology, for example, where in which it's a field that women get far more degrees than men, and then you see in the top jobs, you mm. see more males than females. Um, or if you if you look at the arts uh, industry, for example, which is incredibly mm -hmm. sexist, you know, if you if you think of the greats, they're all you know male, you know, Van Gogh, Da Vinci. I I can't think of any more on the top of my head, but there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of allegations of uh, severe sexism in the art industry, for example. Yeah. How do you understand it? You know, what do you think? What what societal context do you think we need the most work on? So first of all, I think that it exists in nearly every aspect of our private and public lives mm -hmm. and maybe that's we maybe in the way we shape our families or in the in the public life more just even on the streets and in our workplaces but I feel in some places more, it's more pronounced um, than others you mentioned a very interesting um, sector which is the art sector um, yeah. I'm just I've not long read about the live music scene as well um, about campaigns that are going there, about sexism in live music scenes and, you know, what some of the artists, female artists face there as well. Um, so I think, you know, any sector or industry that is male dominated, um, I think you're right to worry and feel, okay, maybe there is some work to do there. Um, the evidence is not always so pronounced, but 
that's why I feel gender balance is so important to as part of a solution to address that as well. Um, and also in areas where it is a male dominated, ensuring that we take men with us in the conversation. So I can't really pinpoint on just one industry, but there's so many examples you can use. Yeah. But then also, I, I think I need to look at the positive changes we're making as well. I mean, campaigns such as Me Too, He For She are creating massive waves and really improving um, conditions and situations for women um, across every sector you can think of. So I am just hoping that the only way that we see is it continues to be up. Yeah. And in institutions as well, to be honest. Let's be yeah, fair. Absolutely. <laughs> Who who's your idols? Who's your who's your inspiration? Ooh, uh Nicola Sturgeon still definitely is. Um she's one of the people who's really inspired me into politics. Um Michelle Obama. <laughs> wow, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, she's I just I used to sit and listen to a lot of her speeches and I still hope that one day she runs for president of America. Yeah. Um and there is another person she's um she's actually a nigerian politician she's now in the un um she's called amina j muhammad as well and she's someone i can relate to as someone who's obviously uh ethnic nigerian which is part of my identity scott i'm scottish nigerian and the fact that she's muslim as well and she's a woman in politics so i think she's a role model i relate to because there's parts of me that I relate to with her as well. Absolutely. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, uh, Fatima. It's been, it's been, it's been great, great wee chat we've had. And I wanted to end on this note: if you had uh, to send a message to to young women out there that want to get involved in politics, what what would your message for them be? You are absolutely hundred percent not alone, and I know it's so easy to say that, um, but the support network build that reach out to other women as well because that is a really massive part of how you get through this because there will be some situations where you can see women are pitted against each other let's not engage in that we need to try and move forward together and stick together so build that support network i cannot i cannot stress how important that is um, to help you cope and get through the challenges of being a woman in politics and if that support network is me you're absolutely welcome to reach out to me online anywhere because i i am so determined to see more women not only get in but stay in politics stay active in any shape or form whether that's frontline or behind the scenes and honestly you can do it if you care then you're qualified to quote thanks. something for the elector <laughs> <laughs> thanks for much cheers all right thank you